You washed up. Sorry? <laughs> Welcome to the island of discarded women, my friend. I used to be somebody. Are you that woman on the radio? Your island job is peladora de papas. Uh, sorry, what? Potato peeler. 87% match for uh, your skills. Okay, that's not... Anyway, what is the second best match then? Host of the island podcast. Are you kidding me? No, no, see, that's me. That That's perfect for me. Very kind people. Thank you for calling customer support. This is Day Singh. How can I help you? It's Day Singh, like the daytime and singing. Day Singh. Sure. It's D E X. Yeah, X like X ray. Yep. I E N G. I can also give you which branch I'm at. That will be easiest if you need to reference me at all. I guess my name is a little weird. <laughs> uh, what can I help you with today? Hmm? Oh, no, it's not Chinese. I'm Hmong. No, it's not the same thing. We're different people. No, it's not spelled the way we would spell it in Hmong. Uh, what can I? I don't know. My mom decided the spelling. Mm-hmm. So what was the purpose of your call? Because I'm sure my name isn't the reason why you're calling, and this conversation has gone on two, three lines longer than it needed to be. Of course, I didn't say that last line to them. But yes, this is an actual conversation I had with a customer. I have this sort of conversation almost every other time I introduce myself. And look, I know my name is not common. It's not even that common in Hmong. My problem doesn't lie in the how do you pronounce your name realm. It's not in the what's the origin of your name. My problem is when that's all the conversation becomes or it lingers too long and I didn't sign up for an interview. I'm being polite because you're my neighbor and you live on the other side of my wall. Because you need to be able to pronounce my name when I walk across the stage to get my diploma. Because work requires me to state my name every time I take a call. Eventually, at some point, I just stopped saying my name because it made my calls so much more efficient as well as increase the amount of calls I was able to take because we needed to have at least 30 calls a day. Now, there are consequences. I did get points taken off since our member care training and auditing involved us stating our names in addition to the whole introduction call. However, I didn't mind that. Keep your points. I'll keep my name. Hello, thank you for calling customer support. How can I help you? Who am I if I am not my name? I grow tired of trying to explain. I will spell it out for you just once. That's all I order you. Don't want to leave you wondering in doubt. Though I know there's more to me than the letters A to Z A name's a sacred thing, don't wear it out My full name is Dating Shua, meaning water falling smoothly It was intended as a description for the way a waterfall falls My parents shortened that to Day Sing when transcribing my name to the English language It's like when Pa, meaning flower, gets transcribed as pa. When gauli, meaning song of the moon, gets transcribed to goli. Dating shua, they sing tomato, tomato. Don't ask me where that third syllable went. It's a whole other story. But regardless, my name has always been important to me. And it was simply what it was. My name. I did have questions. Like, why my mom decided to spell it with an X instead of an S. Because being a five-year-old kid and trying to complete an anagram with my name was like taking a master class of BSing 101. It usually goes something like this, and I say usually because you can't do this just once in your elementary school career. D, daring. E, energizing. Okay, this is good, this is easy. X, 
X. Exciting. But see, if they were an S, well, shoot, I have a whole bunch for that. Singer, soft, sincere, silly, sister, sabotaged. And you want to know something crazy? I actually learned last month that my aunt was the one who decided the spelling of my name. She was so proud. She was like, it's just so cool. D-E-X-I-E-N-G. They sing. I think it looks so unique. I've been questioning the wrong woman my entire life. Like, auntie, did you think about me sitting in class, raising my hand in kindergarten, asking my teacher what descriptors starting with X would look like? They're not great. Xenophobic. Xylophonic. Xanthus. My hair is black. You can all look it up after the podcast. It's X-A-N-T-H-O-U-S. I'm only questioning because it's not like they tried to keep the Hmong spelling of my name. It's made up. But I, I guess I can't critique her creative liberty all too much since my nickname Day is also a spelling I chose on my own. D-A-E. Why? Because I think it looks unique. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I've had this nickname since my friend gave it to me in the third grade. At the time, she said, Day, your name is too hard, so I'm just going to call you Day. Okay. At first, I didn't like anyone calling me that. It didn't feel complete to me. Because Day Singh was already a shortened version of my name, but it just got shorter. I felt like I wasn't who I fully was. It sounds silly, but my name has a meaning, a purpose, like a base on how I want to build myself as a person. Now that I'm older, I've come to adore this nickname. I mean, I must have, right? Otherwise, none of you would be calling me Day. But I like the meaning of it, too. I once had a customer, different job, tell me I had a smile as bright as the sun, and that must be why my mother named me Day. That sort of spoke to me. I wanted to be like that, brighten up someone's day, be the energizer, happy and yellow like the sun. I mean, I was like this even without the meaning of day, like the daytime. So, you know, when I came to this realization, it felt like I found a piece that clicked to who I was. And it still meant water in Hmong, so it was like a fun double entendre. Is she the daytime that comes after the brutal night or the water that can drown you? Ooh, don't try me. <laughs> though I felt incomplete before, feeling as though I was conforming myself to fit into other people's understanding of how to say my name and shortening my existence, I took ownership of my name. Day. D-A-E. Why? Because I created Day. Who am I if I am not my name? I grow tired of trying to explain I can burn just like the sun or flow like water as it runs I built myself upon these given words And though I know there's more to me than the letters A to Z A name I love is something I deserve Name I love is something I deserve. I've known the meaning of my name since I could begin talking. And names in the Hmong culture are especially important because they are connected to our souls. It's the name that is called when we ask our ancestors to protect us, when our spirit gets lost and needs to find home, or when we die and have to journey back to our roots. Names are really powerful. There is a saying that if a name you pick for your child doesn't fit your child, their spirit may reject it and fall sick often. That is when a shaman has to come in to spiritually change that child's name to something that is more fitting for the child. It could be that their name was too weak. Their soul needs a stronger name to bind them in this life. Or that the name is too big and it is overbearing to the soul and they cannot hold the name. And though our name does not define us, it is important to who we are. The name we give our child is significant to how we wish them to be or what we wish for them. For example, if 
I want my child to lead a life of success, I may name them Yang, which in itself means to be winning. With my siblings and I, my mom wanted us to flow like the water, but be strong enough to erode troubles that may be on our paths. Something she said to me once was that you cannot live without water. And just like us, she couldn't live without us. We are named Dei Ting Shua, water flowing smoothly. Dei Shai Ji, ripples in the water. Dei Jia, water dragon. Dei Na, rainwater. Then my baby brother, Ying Hua, meant for victory. I don't know why she changed the theme for my baby brother. Maybe after four kids, she realized she could live without us. I'm just kidding. Love you, mom. <laughs> I know she listens to this, though. <laughs> I like my name. Maybe it's because I really wanted to be the way a waterfall falls. But I feel truly like I am that way now. You know, like a waterfall looks all put together from afar. But the closer you get, the more you realize it's just a lot of all over the place going the same direction. I look graceful, like the water flowing. It's seemingly smooth, but I have the tough nature of it that streams fast. I'm black or white on top, calm or chaotic, but underneath, there are currents in quiet working. Or I'm just trying to find ways my personality fits my name. Either way, it's me. Who am I if I am not my name? Calling me back home from where I came. I have lived a thousand lives, each one making me more wise. My soul craves something familiar to hold. And though a name does not define who I am, it does imply a name's a sacred thing, and so am I. A name's a sacred thing, and so am I. There are multiple stories about how I was named. I know for sure it wasn't a list of baby names off Google or a cherished name from the family tree. My mother wanted a water name, and she felt like it was the right genre to go, but she was having a hard time naming me. Now, there is one story I choose to tell and believe, and that story comes from my grandma. She's a shaman, a tether for the land of the living and dead. She's a healer and guider that can find lost souls and bless homes by warding off bad spirits. So yeah, I'm going to believe the badass in my family. She said that when my mom was pregnant with me, she had a dream that the baby came to her and told her her name, Dei Ting Shua. So, technically I named myself. I am so happy to be here, oh my gosh. As a woman who knows herself There's nothing as powerful As a woman who knows herself There's nothing as dangerous As a woman who knows herself There's nothing as powerful As a woman who knows herself She stands up, her back held straight A lioness in her gaze Her pride is gathered round her thighs Her daughter sees herself in her mama's eyes Velvet tongue and upturned lip, her children clinging at her hip. She plays her songs of incantations, calling forth their own creations. Dangerous as a woman who knows herself. There's nothing as powerful as a woman who knows herself. There's nothing as dangerous as a woman who knows herself. There's nothing as as a woman who knows herself 
licks her chops, tastes of thunder, rain-soaked dreams and childhood wonder, black pathways torn asunder, she's defeated but won't surrender, taste of fruit, kingdom branches, lesson learner, second chances, prowess beckons, invites romances, they are clutching at her haunches, dangerous as a woman and who's herself, there's nothing as powerful as a woman who knows herself. There's nothing as dangerous as a woman who knows herself. There's nothing as powerful as a woman who knows herself. Is her daughter the diamond, not proof of her status? Her young son she adores with such hope and such passion. They are glorious. They are glorious, her children glorious. They are glorious, dangerous. There's nothing as powerful. There's nothing as dangerous. There's nothing as powerful. Rachel, Rachel Kurtz, Rachel Kurtz, everybody, Rachel Kurtz, Rachel, oh my gosh, okay, I think if if the roof could come off this place, I think you just did it, but um, tell me about this song, so the song is called Linus, Yes. so tell me about the song. Well, here's one thing, I've always thought it should be some female candidates walk on music, don't you think it should just like be in an election? Yeah. Just the chorus. Um, I Let, wrote, let's work on that. Let's right, work, right, right. Some, let's someone. work on that. We've got a whole table here. Right. If someone knows anyone that's running, just let me know. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote this song. Uh, I got the hook when I watched Lemonade, uh, Beyonce's Lemonade, the first time. And I was watching her walk on this hilltop, and I was like, oh, yeah. And then realized that I actually, as I wrote the lyrics, it was about my own kids and me. Yeah. And I was assuming I was writing it for Beyonce, though she should cover it and she'd kill it. Yeah. In a, in a parking lot in green with oh, a bunch I'm of things. Oh, I'm telling you, it would just, yeah. ugh, I would die. And I would pay it for my house. <laughs> but here's the great thing is this song actually has a new story to it. I was on a first date at the end of last year and um, with a beautiful doula, and she's just a delight. And she was t- we were talking about how sometimes you write things and you assume it's about someone else, but it's actually about you. Yeah. And then I told her some of the lyrics of this song, and when she got home, she looked it up, and she was like, oh my gosh, this song played a huge part in this my, one of my favorite births of all time. She's been at over 400. And this woman was birthing, and I won't go into the whole story, but as she was laboring, she was like, on this birthing stool that was attached to these silks that were attached to the ceiling, and she was biting on these silks, and then stood up, unmedicated, and birthed a 10-pound baby. What? And then Sarah said to her, oh my gosh, it was like you were a lioness. And the woman started sobbing, and she said, my family works in a hospital, and they were very concerned that I was going to be birthing at a birth center instead of a hospital. And so they kept telling me all this fear, and my friend sent me this song called Lioness. Oh. So the fact that you claimed this song, like pulled the word out of the atmosphere, and for Sarah it was like, oh yeah, I can trust my instinct, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, it's you! And I'm like, what <laughs> is happening? So that was just a little delightful wow. thing. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> And now we're in love and she's my girlfriend. <laughs> so you helped birth a 10-pound baby standing up with silks. Can you imagine? You got to write a song about that. I'm telling you, it's so That's cool. going to be Lioness Part 2. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so Rachel's much. Rachel's going to be back to sing another song in a little bit. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much, Rachel. Thank you so much. Okay, so how many of you have heard about that phone number that you can call where you get a pep talk from kindergartners? Yeah, everybody, anybody, anybody? Yeah, okay. So for those, it's it's a school project from an elementary school in Healdsburg, California. 
So, for instance, you call this number and they give you all sorts of different prompts. And then you hear all these very, very sweet, adorable things from these kindergartners. Advice. And my favorite one is the little one that says, well, if you're sad, just take your wallet and go buy ice cream and shoes. <laughs> Anybody with me? Anybody? Anybody? Should we go together? Should we go together? Yep, yep, yep. I'm thinking she's a kindergartner. I've said that yesterday. Okay, so um, the whole concept is just delightful. It was only a school project. They were gonna keep it up for just a little while. It's gone viral. They're keeping it up forever. They've even added extra. They've added, there's a Spanish language. There's, there's, they've added all these extra things. So they've kept it up. So I wondered, what if we recorded a pep talk from the island of discarded women? Okay, so we'd follow the exact same formula, the exact same prompts. But instead of grown-ups calling and hearing kindergartners giving them a pep talk, kindergartners would call us and hear a pep talk, right? There's no reaction, so you guys don't think that's a good idea. I swear it's a good idea. Okay, and the kids, you know, the kids are just being themselves, so we would just be ourselves. So, to do this correctly, we needed a youth perspective. So I enlisted an actual youth. Uh, she is not a kindergartner but she's certainly closer in age to one than I am. So Ayla, thank you, you've agreed to help guide us through this pep talk for kids, right? Right. Right. And you are, just to be clear, you are an actual kid. Yes, yes. I am, yes. though I'm way older than a kindergarten. Right, I got that, I got that, <laughs> I got that. I just want to be clear, because for the podcast listeners, um, there could be some confusion. I mean, they might think it's me doing the kid voice, because. I used to do a lot of kid voices on that big fancy radio show that I used to do. Um, some of them were quite popular. But Sylvia, you, you also, you had a radio show in Guatemala. You used to do character voices. On, yeah, 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 right. yeah, I did. Yeah. There, there was a math brainiac and she talked like this. Hola, soy la cerebrito. <laughs> and, oh, and she cute. had a song. Uno más dos, son tres, siete por tres, veintiuno. She sang math problems. Yeah, she would sing the math problems, and kids would call and give their answers. One of my favorite characters on the radio show was this little girl. She was all stuffed up from a bad cold, and she, and she talked like this, and she would breathe really heavy like this. And she'd say, hey, mister, can you tell me where the bus stop is, please? Oh, oh, and I have oh, another character right. that would talk like a parrot. A kid parrot? Of course. What? A kid parrot? A kid parrot? Oh, okay. A kid parrot? Okay, okay, okay. Okay, well, I once played a pregnant sparrow on the show. Oh, oh, oh I'm about to give birth here. Could you put uh, your wings around me, please? Excuse me? Uh, uh, are you guys going to talk like this with those weird voices in the pep talk? No, we're not going to do the weird voices. We just got a little carried away. Okay, okay, okay. Right, never mind, never mind, never mind. Let's just do this for real. Okay. So, Ayla, please, what is the first option in the kindergartner pep talk call? Uh, press okay. one if you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous. Okay, I'll take that one. So, what would I say? What would I say? Uh, I would say if you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, go for a walk, uh, get some fresh air. What'd you say, Sylvia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I would, I would say... Drive to the nearest Dumb Brothers yep. and get a large caramel frappuccino. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. Now, I, I might say, like, call a friend and then go for a really lovely glass of wine. Oh, oh, yeah. oh or, or you treat yourself to a big fancy restaurant yeah. with your husband. Oh, that's a good one. That's Hello. a really, really good one. What? Little kids calling, remember? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, right. So treat yourself to a big fancy restaurant with your boyfriend. Yeah. Right? Is that better? Um, not really. Okay, all right, all right. All right, no, let's, look, let's go to the next one. What, what's option number two, Ayla, please? Okay. Press two for words of encouragement and life advice. Okay, so now in this one, the real kindergartners, they say things like, be grateful for yourself and be you and it's okay to be different. I mean, what's not to love about those, right? So I would say, what would I say? I would say, be you and you got to keep pushing, pushing for that ERA amendment to get passed because when you grow up, you're going to want to get paid the same as your co-worker. So you've got to call your congresspeople. You've got to write letters. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Yes. 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 Write letters? Yeah. Is that like a text? Yes, that's kind of like yeah. a text. Exactly. <laughs> Sylvia, what would you say? Okay, well, for, for life advice, yeah. I could say, 
Listen, no one knows everything. No. There is always a time to learn a new skill. Like good. maybe take a class in estate planning. Good, 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 good. That's good. And estate planning is? A very important thing, young one. Very important. Yep. Very important. Yeah, you should start thinking about it now. Absolutely. Okay, what's number three, Ayla, please? Press three to hear a pep talk from kindergartners. Okay, well, we have to change that. So it would be a pep talk from women, uh, women wise women of worth. Or, or, or from aunties to the rescue. Oh, yeah, I like that one. Aunties to the rescue. Let's do that. Okay, so for this one, the real kindergartner say in unison, you can do it and, and keep trying. I mean, that's all very universal, right? So I would say, I know you can do it. Even though I'm a woman over 60 and no one cares about women over 60 anymore. You know, unless they're elected officials, you know, running our government, like the rock star Nancy Pelosi, who was in her freaking 80s and still amazing. Am I right? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, I'm sorry for the French. Sorry, I don't think that was actually French. Uh, well. No, but this is French. What? Vous pouvez le faire même si vous avez plus de 101. Regardez Nancy Pelosi qui est 41 et tout dur, incroyable. See. And that's not even her native language. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, 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 Sylvia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do have that option number five, encouragement in Spanish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did yes, you call that one? Yes, they Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which one? I like the one that says, Si estás triste, ve a comprarte unas donas. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> If you're sad, go buy some donuts. <laughs> donuts! What do you think, Ayla? Yeah? Donuts? Donuts are very good, yeah. especially the chocolate ones. Okay, good. Okay, <laughs> let's go back to number four. We skipped number four. What's number four, Ayla? Press four if you want to hear a bunch of kids just laughing. A bunch of kids just laughing? Okay. Are you kidding me? We got that here, <laughs> right? Okay, audience. Right. We're laughing at the count of three, right? One, two, three. <laughs> okay, young one, did we pep you up? Um, I think I'd rather take my wallet and go buy some donuts and shoes. Oh. All right, let's go buy donuts and shoes. <laughs> Speaking of pep talks, Rachel, your next song is just one big, huge, freaking pep talk for kids. Yes. And kids that are getting just slammed right now by all these hate-filled laws that are cropping up all over the country. And, you know, I really, um, you know, we can kind of, you know, bang the drums about that, but I really, really can't imagine how it must feel mm. for these kids to get this blaring message that they are not welcome. Right. In their neighborhoods, in their schools, in their homes, in their state. But this song is going to change that. Mm -hmm. Rachel Kurtz. All you queer kids, you're all right with me. All you queer kids, you're all right with me. Because we love you. We're so lucky because of you. Yeah, we love you. We're so lucky because of you. All the trans kids, you're all right with me. All the trans kids, you're all right with me. Because we love you. We're so lucky because of you. Yeah, we love you. We're so lucky because of you. Here's a secret I tell you right now. We are all just trying to figure this out. It takes us a while to me all the gay kids 
kids, you're all right with me because we love you. We're so lucky because of you. Yeah, we love you. We're so lucky because of you. It's hard to grow up no matter who you are. And you, my darling, are a shining star. Even if I don't always understand it. Yeah, I'm your mom. And I love you down there. Yeah, you're so brave, baby, you're so brave. Even when you're not, you're my kiddo, and I like you a lot. Hey, look at you, baby, look at you. I'm so proud of you. Hey, look at you, baby, look at you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're shining, you're shining. You're shining, shining. Rachel Kurtz. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Rachel. So powerful. That's her new song. That Gay Kids is her brand new song, right? Right, Rachel? Yeah, right, Rachel. That's good. That will be, that will be on an album soon. That will also be in her basement, thousands of them. Um, I just want to share something with you. Um, during the pandemic shutdowns, there was a very iconic word that I became very concerned about. And the word was freedom. Now, usually a very powerful word, right? And a lot of different associations that we all have to it. It can have a very visceral meaning for so many. And I just felt like it became completely co-opted by people complaining that their freedoms are being taken away by the mass mandates or the vaccine protocols. And, you know, this is the United States. We have freedoms here. You can't make me do anything. You can't make me wear a mask. You can't make me put down my gun. You can't make me stop saying these hateful things because we have freedoms here. And I just thought, ick, you know, you're just ruining the whole thing. And don't get me started on the hypocrisy of the freedoms of my body, my choice when it came to vaccines, and then passing dangerous legislation denying rights for a woman's right to choose, right? Too many rallies, too many signs, too many angry chants, freedoms, freedoms, freedoms. I was kind of done with it. I just thought, you've just ruined it, you've wrecked it. And then nine months ago, a music video came out of a new song that completely changed my mood. John Batiste's glorious song, Freedom. If you have not seen it, the music video, he also performed it live on the Grammys, shot in, in New Orleans, you have to you go to YouTube, type it in, you have to, you have to, you have to. Because now when I hear the word freedom, I don't hear complaining and whining from privileged people who have no regard for history or, or, or any compassion for the common good. Now I can just hear this joyful, joyful song and John Batiste singing and dancing through the streets of New Orleans with kids and these amazing dancers and marching bands and a delightful sense of humor. And after he won the Grammy for Best Album, which Freedom is on, he gave a beautiful acceptance speech, which ended with him saying right to the camera, I love you even though I don't know you. Yes, that's it. Thank you, John, for bringing back freedom. Um, our special guest, who's gonna come up in a little bit, but we're gonna do a little something first, Dr. Artika Tyner, was just announced this past Thursday as the winner of the 2022 McKnight Artist Fellowship in Children's Literature slash Picture Books. It's right here. Very prestigious honor. Congratulations. Her picture book, Justice Makes a Difference, was written in 2017. It's one of her most popular. 
So um, before we bring her up for the conversation, we thought we'd share with you some excerpts from this children's book through a radio theater style adaptation. So here now is Justice Makes a Difference with Ayla Porter playing eight-year-old Justice and Dana Lee Thompson as her grandmother. Justice's favorite place to visit was her grandma's house. Grandma always greeted her with the biggest, warmest hug. Grandma always made Justice feel important. The best part of Grandma's house is her den full of books. Grandma and I spend hours in the den talking and reading. Your name is your destiny. Grandma reminded her often that being named Justice came with a great responsibility. To whom which is given, much is accounted for. Justice might not have understood all the words that Grandma said, but she understood that she was meant to serve and lead in her community. What is in your hands to make a difference in the world? What can I do? I'm only eight years old. Your age does not show you what you are capable of, so don't let anyone tell you that you're too young to make a difference. Justice, do you remember the poem you wrote for the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. celebration at your school? That poem made a difference. Here's a book about someone else who made a difference through her writing. Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells was a journalist who used her writing to advance racial equality. She wielded her pen to wage war for justice as editor of the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight. She served as a journalist with Chicago's Daily Inter-Ocean and the Chicago Conservator, one of the oldest African-American newspapers in the United States. I can write for justice. All that week, Justice worked on a poem about love and peace. She showed Grandma the finished poem. Words are powerful. They can be used in powerful ways to do good or to do harm. That's why it's important to always be careful with your words. You did good, Justice. During one visit to Grandma's house, Justice was quieter than usual. What's troubling you, princess? My friends at school said women can't be president. Mm, justice, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't be who you want to be. When Justice got home from Grandma's house that afternoon, she found a book in her backpack. Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm became the first African-American woman to run for president of the United States in 1972. She called herself the candidate of the people because she was determined to fight for rights of all people. I can be president one day. I can fight for justice. Justice couldn't wait to tell her friends at school all about Shirley Chisholm. Grandma, now mm. all my friends want to be president. <laughs> I'm counting on it. What else are you learning about in school? This week, we learned about the legal case, mm. Brown versus Board of Education. <laughs> I remember attending school in a one-room shack in Alabama. Dozens of students from all ages gathered in the schoolhouse to learn together. We didn't have much, most days not even paper or pencils, but we had a love of learning. I can't imagine going to school in a one-room schoolhouse with kids of all different ages. Mm -hmm. And we learned that black children were not allowed to attend school with white children? Yes, Justice. The schools were separate and unequal. We also learned about the lawyer who worked to end segregation in schools. Indeed. Charles Hamilton Houston. He said lawyers should serve as a mouthpiece for the weak mm -hmm. and a sentinel guarding against wrong. That's a funny word. What does it mean to be a mouthpiece? Hmm. A mouthpiece means that you use your voice to share about the challenges people face in society, like ending hunger or ending homelessness. What does sentinel mean? How about you find out for yourself in your dictionary? <laughs> sentinel, sentinel. Ah, a sentinel is a soldier or guard whose job it is to stand and keep watch. Wow, I can be a soldier for justice. Finally, justice was sure. She knew she could make a difference in the world by becoming a lawyer. Her love for superheroes inspired her vision for the future. I'm going to become Miss Freedom Fighter Esquire. A superhero with a law degree and an afro. <laughs> Justice, are you ready for bed? 
Grandma, I will make a difference by becoming a lawyer and helping those in need. Good for you. Good night, Justice. That night, Justice found a book under her pillow. Another special gift from Grandma. Ella Baker. Ella Baker helped the young people of the Civil Rights Movement get organized and take a stand for equality and freedom. She said, We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. To me, young people come first. They have the courage where we fail. And if I can shed some light as they carry us through the gale. Struggling myself don't mean a whole lot. I come to realize that teaching others to stand up and fight is the only way my struggle survives. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Repeat after me. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Thank you. Ayla Porter and Dana Lee Thompson. Please help me welcome our guest for the conversation, Dr. Artika Tyner. Come on up, Artika. Okay, so you wrote that book. I did, but I've never seen it perform, so I have a new idea. <laughs> we got the essence of it, right? Oh, more than the essence. You made it come alive to hear it in a young person's voice. Yeah. And grandma brought back memories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. So congratulations again on this uh, prestigious award that I know you just found about on Thursday. And I just thought, oh, man, that is, yes. Right. Thank you. Right. Um, thank you. Thank you all. <laughs> I know Artika was telling me earlier, it's like, I said, well, did you just find out on Thursday? She goes, well, it was official on Thursday. So yes. it was one of those things where it's like, is it like American Idol where you win like weeks before, but you can't say anything? Is it like that, Artika? No, okay. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so wanted to be like that. I so wanted to be like that. Um, you said, just while we were, that book is sort of fresh in, in our minds. And, and just so you know, we did not read the entire book, so there's more fun things in there, so you can still buy the book. We only read part of the book. Um, your impetus to write books like that, when you grew up as a kid, you didn't have picture books that would um, you know, sort of highlight your cultural roots. Of course, I mean, they threw in a black character here or there. They said, Sweet Valley High is missing a character. Throw someone in. Or the Babysitter's Club, throw Jessica in. It was random. Yeah. We weren't a part of the story. So to see a reflection of myself on a book, I wish I had it when I was younger. Yeah. And one of the most powerful stories was of a young girl. She said when she received our books, she hugged it and said, Daddy, that's me. And mm. if we can create those experiences, it's all worth it in the end. Yes, yes, yes. And what I love about this book is it's sort of, you know, it plays into the superhero thing, you know, Miss Freedom Fighter, Esquire, and you've got the picture on the book, you've got the cape. She has big glasses, and so I, I was asking you, is, is sort of the illustration based on you? And you're like, of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? Um, but I think what's really cool is that, I, I don't know, somebody might say, does a, a, a third grader, does it do anything for them to learn about Ella Baker? And you're like, yes, they need to learn about Ella Baker. Learning about Ella Baker, Shirley Chisholm, yeah. Charles Hamilton, Houston, Paul Robeson is essential because it's making history come alive. When I grew up, the history that I received was about you know, our forefathers, which is important. That's yes. about history. That's grounding us in who we are as Americans. But the American story is so much more. Yeah. The American story is, I, I just felt like everyone was preaching my sermon earlier. It's about how to love our names. How yeah. many times was I told, um, is there another way to say Artika? I was yeah. like, no. Um, so those pieces of being able to bring in the stories are mm -hmm. the encouragement and inspiration we need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, a little bit of your history. You grew up in Rondo. Of course, Rondo Proud. Yeah. And I, just for the podcast listeners that are listening, I just want to mention the significance of Rondo. So Rondo was a very vibrant black community that was split in two basically decimating it in the late 50s when the freeway connecting Minneapolis and St. Paul was sort of, you know, shoved through. Um, heartbreaking scenario that happens in city after city after city after city. Um, you, you were telling me you grew up in a family of preachers and teachers. Yes. You were saying that that gave you sort of a sense of 
urgency or that, that you had an assignment or that you had an, a purpose. Tell me, more, tell me more about that. I feel I was born to live out my destiny. My name is Injustice, but the reality of fighting for justice is what I was taught since I was a young girl. Our Rondo story was not a story of uh, tears or being forgotten. It was a story of how do you make the world a better place in real time? How do you take those tears of despair and turn them into hope and possibilities for the future? So I knew Justice's story is my story. Yeah. That the only way I could really do that was by becoming an attorney. Because I believe the law is a language of power. And I was convinced if I could become well-versed in that language, there'd be no stopping me. And yeah. I could fight for the rights of people in real time, including my own community in Rondo. So you were originally out of out of sort of your, your college years, you were a student teacher. And you were telling me that you were seeing uh, sort of all the inequities in real time. And that's what made you, sort of motivated you to make the switch to saying, I can make bigger change by becoming a lawyer. That's just the, uh, the shorthand version. Tell me more about I that. I know, so I'll, I'll keep with the shorthand version. No, you can tell the longhand version here. <laughs> but for me, um, becoming an educator was something, I mean, I started with my Barbie dolls, like go teach class, let's teach Sunday school, let's teach, let's read books together. It was just natural to be an educator. But I found out when I was really in the classroom that oftentimes we have a romanticized view of education, that all the social issues, all the challenges go away at the schoolhouse gates. But the reality of it is, young people face many challenges before they make it to school, mm -hmm. whether it's related to homelessness, you know, some of the challenges and symptoms and ills of society as a whole, from poverty to healthcare disparities, all these issues. And when I was in that classroom, I knew it wasn't just enough to teach students, that I needed to do more, that students would be able to have an enjoyable experience of learning. Mm -hmm. So if I could tear down some of those barriers, that was really what would come alive for me. And lo and behold, I guess a long-winded third amen to that question is, see, the preacher side's gonna come out, and y'all <laughs> might be here for a revival by the time I get done. I think it's already <laughs> happening. I think it's already happening. I, I would say God sent me into prisons. And when I got into prisons, I saw a whole different set of challenges. Yeah. That many of my clients learned how to read while in prison. So I knew that I had to do something dramatically different to make sure if I was gonna fight for the rights of people. I thought sometimes, you know, God has a sense of humor. You think you're supposed to go one direction mm -hmm. and there's another direction because lo and behold, although yes, I'm a civil rights attorney, I'm also an educator. So I got the best of both worlds. I'm an educator and a lawyer, watch out now. You don't know what's coming. <laughs> but. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess you could call it an educated lawyer. There we go. That would be good too. I, I yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, exactly, that's another one, yeah. What I love about that is that it's sort of like, yes, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just take it. How can we change the laws? You talk in some of your materials about breaking the school-to-prison pipeline and doing that through education. There was one fascinating story that you tell. Um, it was a, a TED Talk that you did. Mm -hmm. And you were telling about um, you're a law professor at this point and you're some law students, and it's a project about what could you do. It's, it's the quote that you have in the book. It's uh, what's in your hands to make a difference. And you took on this project that was, you realized that the phone calls were very expensive. Yes. And that kids couldn't afford to call their, or the other way around, couldn't afford, the, the car state rated people couldn't afford mm -hmm. to call their kids. So a disconnect was happening out of something very, very simple like, and you were telling me the phone calls were so expensive, it sounds like, like cruise ship kind of thing, like you know, a dollar a minute or something like that. It's like, why? Yes. Why? So you worked with your team of law students, right? Mm -hmm. And you made that change. We did, we got organized. Yeah. And that's another thing that I encourage people to do. Oftentimes I tell my students it's more than just seeing a problem. We have to ask ourselves, how do we create a solution? Yeah. And at a dollar per minute, I couldn't afford. I remember I, as a kid, I had my own training. I was ready. My mother taught me how to act. She was like, hang up the phone softly. I was like, how do you hang up the phone softly? <laughs> she was like, either we take this call or we can't meet our basic living expenses. Because everybody, if you know what that call is like, you know it's important. And you want to accept the call, but you have to make a decision. Do I accept that call or do I pay my other bills? And I just got tired of hearing the same stories about prison. Because this idea of we're going to create a society that is about freedom and about justice. We also have to think of the condition of many of people who are forgotten in that conversation. And when we think about prison phone calls, I know for me, 
being able to talk to my relatives. You know, Sunday's our sacred day after church, so we get this all the time, a soul food Sunday. But imagine for the folks who aren't there. Yeah. That phone call might be the only way that you can stay connected in real time. Yeah. And so for us and the advocacy that we were able to do, teaching our students got voice, got power, that community organizing mantra. Yeah. So we got involved through legislative advocacy, bringing forth advocacy in front of the FCC. And the one thing that I want to encourage you all to remember, it's still not done yet. We still have more work to do. Oh, sure. No, but I just love that story because it's sort of like, hey, let's do this, mm -hmm. and then it worked, and then it's like, and what a simple way of saying, let's help our, the kids connect with their parents, and if that's the obstacle, oh, that's mm -hmm. it? Yeah. It's just the, yeah, no, let's, let's change that in that. So congratulations on, on that. Of course. Um, yes. And I have to say, we got a little unexpected help. I mean, this was a national campaign. Even uh, Elmo helped us out. Oh, did Elmo help oh, you out? Oh, yes, because he had a new friend, Alex, who had an incarcerated parent. Oh. So all of a sudden, it was a conversation that became table talk conversation, a little more common that nearly 2 million children have an incarcerated parent. Wow. So how do we talk about this in real time? Yeah. And how do we raise awareness? Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, mm -hmm. good. You founded Planting People Growing Justice in 2014. To inspire kids to explore their cultural roots, uh, through specifically through children's books, mm -hmm. and uh, and that I'm just quoting some of the things that I read about you or that you said: education for social change, equip the next generation for leadership. So leadership, sort of training the next leaders, is big for you. Of course. Yeah. That's our only hope for the future: yeah. to inspire those today that understand the values around change and are willing to create it. Yeah. Right, right. So what are some of the things that you're working on right now uh, you know, with Planting People Growing Justice as far as, there was a contest. One of your books was written by a 10-year-old kid, right? Yes, Zephaniah Martin. Yeah, and what, did he won a contest. Tell us about that. Yes, we decided instead of, it's nice to have me go out. That's, that's all right. But it's better, I think, if we're going to reach young people, teach them to lead and share their own stories. So young Zephaniah Martin won our writing competition on Kwanzaa. And if you haven't seen his book yet, and we have the audio version available online too, um, Jaheem's first Kwanzaa, oh, it's a must-see. And for me, it was one of the brightest moments of my life, but also one of the saddest. Because mm -hmm. as he read his own book, I had to think to myself, he read better than most of my clients. There's something that we have to say about that. When 85% of young people in the juvenile justice system cannot read, oh. and 60 to 80% of the adult population, there are some tangible things that we can do to create change in real time, and around literacy should be a top priority. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And plenty of people growing justice, a big passion is to get children's books into schools and into, in, all into the hands of kids so that they can read that, they can read about uh, you know, the shoulders they're standing on or that they can see themselves in Shirley Chisholm or Ella Baker and that kind of thing. So how is that going as far as getting books, getting books in schools? It's I, extremely yeah. well. Yeah. I'll announce it here. Go we haven't it. made it public yet. Uh -oh. We've reached 10,000 books that we've donated. Wow. And I know most people say, well, it should be millions. But no, we're curating and making sure that they're diverse books. So 10,000 books is quite significant wow. in number yeah. because of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I have to tell you something, Sue. Can I tell you the you real impetus for this? You can tell me anything. Oh, I feel this is like my Oprah moment. This is our soul. It's totally your Oprah moment. Thing. Yeah. I've been waiting for this my whole life. So here it is. Really the backdrop of the story is a promise that I made to the late Congressman John Lewis. Oh. One of my students um, had an opportunity to organize a visit with him. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I grew up and I thought my name was Hush Child. Because I was like, but mother, you have to know, did you see mother, mother? And still yet, I do that today. I, I think she just walks into the other room now. But as a, <laughs> as a child, she's like, hush, child. You know, I didn't have the etiquette to ask the right question at the right time either. But so I thought my name was hush, child, until I realized I'm really Artika Tyner. So I remember that was the first time in my life I'm like, he's the big six. His office looks like the best civil rights museum that you could ever see. There's no way I can say one word to this man. But I'm sitting here and my student's like, um, are you going to talk yet? I was like, I really have nothing to say. But he did open the invitation to the conversation. And really the impetus 
for my work around whether it's justice makes a difference or any of the youth leadership work that we're doing was the words that Congressman John Lewis gave me mm. to make sure that I was reaching young people oh. to inspire them to lead their own change in real time. Yeah. And you're talking about the comic book, the kind of superhero theme that didn't come from me. That came from a part of the conversation with Congressman John Lewis as well, because oh. I thought Dr. King's first book, I was like, it's one of his autobiographies. Maybe it's a collection of sermons. And one of the gifts that I left Congressman John Lewis's office with was a comic book written and about Dr. King. That was the way that Dr. King was really teaching young people about nonviolent resistance. Wow. He realized that he had to reach young people wherever he found mm -hmm. them. And what better way to use a comic book or graphic novel to give young people something first interesting to read and two, at their reading and grade level to compel them to say, the civil rights movement wasn't about us and our generation. The civil rights movement was about the children yeah. who dared to sit in who mm. dared to get on those Greyhound buses as the Freedom Riders. So as I saw Congressman John Lewis and as I heard those words of inspiration, I knew that it wasn't just first about the one book, Justice Makes a Difference, but it had to really be movement building mm. to inspire young people to show them that history is always shown, that young people have been the forefront of social change movements. Yeah. Yeah. Let's step out of the way sometimes and mm. allow them to lead change in real time. Yes, yes, amen, amen, amen. Um, I have to ask you about Ghana. Okay. So, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of stories here, but um, you took your first trip to Ghana when you were working with a grad student who got a grant. Yes. And uh, she wanted you to go with her, and she ended up using part of her money for the grant for you. So, tell me a little bit about the background about that. Your your very first trip to Ghana. Yes, I have to name the graduate assistant. She's now my program director at the yeah. law school, Monica Habia. Monica, at first I thought, Monica, you cannot write every paper in our coursework about Ghana. It's nice, <laughs> but there are other topics we have to cover. But Monica continued on. Every paper was about the economy of Ghana, about education in Ghana, about women's leadership. And then finally I just said, okay, she's going to write about Ghana. I just anticipated it. <laughs> And I remember thinking to myself, first of all, you know, it is intriguing. Ghana is on my vision board. I'll make it there one day. But I didn't know exactly when. It was like, first of all, I have to afford the flight. I have to take care of all the logistics. I was thinking in such a practical way that sometimes I can get so pragmatic, I get in my own way. And let this be an invitation for all of us. Let faith answer to fear. Yeah. Faith of yeah. what the possibilities could yeah. be. Before I could even physically touch the idea in a ticket, my mind knew I already went there because I had read so many books about Ghana and about Africa. Traveling through books was my thing as a kid. And so Monica made it a reality. And then from that reality, I built upon it. And not just once, almost two dozen times now. Yeah. I feel like Ghana has really become home. Well, you were saying <laughs> that you, okay, so here's what's really interesting. You were telling me, it's like, I'm so, I can breathe there. Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel so at home. And then you also talked about how when you come back, the toxicity of the, of the racism, the blatant racism, the subtle racism that just kind of slams you in the face when you come back every time, and then how freeing it feels when, you, when then you return to Ghana. So that, I mean, that was just really, really powerful when you were just saying, it. yeah, you felt like you, it, that, that's your home. Um, I think it's important. I mean, I even talked to my doctor. She was like, your health is on a decline, but all of a sudden it's dramatically different. And I was like, well, what have I done differently? I didn't go on that Mediterranean diet. Um, I'm not eating oatmeal every day like she said I should or Cheerios. I'm like, so I'm not doing the things that she said I should do. But the reality of it was, I was so she said, what's so different now? And I said, going back to Africa. And she asked me, why was that so significant? Because I said, if you lived a day in my life, you'd probably take your own. And she looked at me and I said, yeah, because you still have to, Artika stands for you're so articulate. I would hope so after all these degrees, I would hope, you know, and I didn't even start talking yet. I just said, hi, how are you? So I was like, okay. And I would hope that the reality, even as you're talking about pay parity and access, we, before the pandemic, they said it would take until 2059 for women to have equal pay. The pandemic had its greatest effects and impact on women because we were the caregivers yep. in many ways and yep. took ourselves out of the labor movement, all these pieces. Yep. 
So 2059 probably will take a whole nother century. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm yeah. the type that says, and this might be a hush child moment, but mother's not here. I'm the type to say never. That the possibility on what we can create in real time is right now. So I don't have to wait. I claim right now. Yeah. So in claiming right now, it meant I had to go to a place, and I'm saying this for all of you because we use all this health and wellness, work-life balance. Find a place that gives you strength. Find the opportunity that gives you strength. And Ghana does that for me in real time. I don't have a racial identity in Ghana. None of you would. Let me help you all out in case you're getting nervous if you think it's just for black folks. <laughs> Nobody would have a racial identity in Ghana because there would be one thing, and this is what we talked about yeah. soon, it would be one word, a kwaba, meaning you're welcome. Come back. Mm -hmm. It would be Sankofa. Come back and reclaim the history that we lost. Ghana taught me more than any college class, master's degree, PhD program ever could. Wow. It taught me about our shared humanity and common destiny, that you could take the worst of humankind. The slave castles are there in Elmina and Cape Coast. You could take the most egregious experience of the transatlantic slave trade and take out of that and build the infrastructure and the hope for the future. Wow. Yeah. I think we can learn from that. I'm going. I'm going with it. I'm going next time. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of which, in, in 2019, which was the 400th anniversary of the first slave ship coming here to this country, um, there was the year of the return. Yes. And that was the Ghanaian president said, come back to Ghana, the year of the return, mm -hmm. um, and was inviting people to come. And you took a group. And it was yes. slightly, it was slightly multiracial, right? The group it was? was, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and you took a group, and then you did it. You you did a documentary about that. Yes, we'll be releasing it next month. So go to our website, come check us out, yes. join in. And it's it's actually called what's it called? I have it right here. It's called the Ghana Year of Return Trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's so, about how uh -oh. we can create a black ecosystem in real time. Yeah. About building a stronger educational system building stronger socioeconomic wealth creation vehicles, leadership. It's about all those pieces of what we can create. And once again, it was like President Okofo Otto was talking to me. When he said, come back home for 2019, I said, let's go. Yeah. My bags were already packed. Yeah. So did that, okay, so all the times that you've been there, did the actual invitation, the sort of the year of the return, the significance of that, the 400th anniversary, did it feel different that time? Did it feel different at all? It felt different because for me, that was the first time that other African-Americans heard that invitation and the rest of the world. Because just a little context, President Kofo Otto made, Otto made that invitation at the UN. Typically at the UN, they're expecting an African leader to say, oh, our bellies are swollen and we can't make it. We don't know where our next meal is coming from. Our nation's falling apart. He said with confidence, whoever you are, come back home. Wherever you come from, Mother Africa is a home for everybody. He said, come back home. He came from a place of strength and power in real time. Yeah. And that's the type of legacy. As I listened to the song, I was cheering because the lioness, mm -hmm. that's really my dream in the sense of not having the history of African-Americans and the African diaspora documented properly. So here's our opportunity. Instead of the hunter always telling our story. Mm -hmm. Like, let me give you one quick story. I have yeah. to do this one. Go for it. Go for it. So when I'm in Ghana, I live in the Akwamu Kingdom. So our king is Odenaho Okoto III. So one of the things that in his museum he has, no one talks about. And in fact, I have to write a book on this. Okay, this will be my first okay, next right. She's going to write a book. Decided here. Okay. But no one tells the story. But in Odenaho's museum, he has a set of keys. And you may be thinking, what difference does a set of keys make? But he has a set of keys that tells a dramatically different story than the transatlantic slave trade. That our king shows them that those keys they took from the Danes because they overtook a slave castle. They said, you will not hold us bound because this idea that we all freely and Africans traded other Africans and it's your own people's problem and all, these are myths that we've been told. But here's an opportunity for us to challenge them and find the truth. So people did actively resist slavery. The Aquamus, wherever they were taken around the world, they resisted slavery not only for themselves, but for others, to free others as well. So once again, who controls the narrative controls history. Yeah. So the beauty of what I do as a writer is to say that's not what happened. And in fact, let me dispel one myth for you. It is not true that American slavery was like every other form of slavery over history. There was something unique about it, and I won't go too into it, because then we'll have a revival for sure, 
But pick yourself up a copy of Isabel Wilkerson's book, yeah. Isabel Wilkerson Cash. Yes. And I see some hands being lifted, yeah, so yeah, our yeah. podcast community has to know we're raising the roof on that, okay? Yeah. So here it is. Her book helps to document the history of creating a racial caste and hierarchy. It's an essential read because basically it shows us that these are structural things that we have to grapple with. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes we say we go to the chiropractor and that's what we do with our policies. We realign them. No, no, no. We have to get to the very structure. Mm -hmm. And here's one thing you have to know about slavery. Yes, there were other forms of slavery in Africa, but there was none quite like what happened in America. Because slavery in Africa typically happened, let's say there's a war and you take over the people that you've defeated that community or that kingdom. But that meant you were basically then engrafted into that new kingdom. Right. In certain instances, if the numbers or if there was a decline, you were even married into that kingdom. This idea of slavery didn't carry with you for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. In America, it carries with you from slavery to Jim Crow to some of the challenges we still face today. Right. So I want us, and this is why I write books, to dispel myths so we can find reality. And by finding reality, finding those hidden truths that are right in front of us. So that's why I love going to my King's Museum because the only story I was taught was of defeat. That yeah. someone took us, they had power over us. We have no history, we have no culture, we have yeah. no background. Yeah. When I go to my King's Museum, so the Aquamos, we're the conquerors of all conquerors. <laughs> I love I that, too. wow, that is so powerful. Um, okay. Who wants to go to Ghana with Artika next time? Anybody, anybody, Oh, anybody? I, I, okay. I'm liking what I'm okay. seeing. Okay, okay, and before that, who do you do adult education uh, law classes? Who wants oh, to take a class? Yes, of who course. wants to take a class with Artika? Yes, of course. More than welcome. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Artika Tyner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, everybody. That's our show. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I want to thank again Artika Tyner. Please. 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 And Rachel Kurtz. Where's Rachel? Come on up, Rachel. Come on up. Come on up. Rachel Kurtz. And our cast, Day Sing Yang, Day Yang. And Sylvia Potaza. And Zippy Lasky. And Dana Lee Thompson. And Ayla Porter. Come on out, come on out, come on out. And thank you to our engineers, Catherine Horitz and John Robinson. And thank you to Bill Healy and Lexi Carlson for the light. And Amanda Shaver for the pictures and Carolyn Denton, our volunteer, and thank you to the gorgeous Women's Club and the staff here. We will be back next month, y'all, right here for another Island of Discarded Women. Thank you, everybody. Good night. I'm Sue Scott. Good night. <laughs>